You may be seated. I don't know if you've uh, <clears throat> made a trip recently to uh, a big bookstore. I know those are kind of going the way of, <laughs> we order everything online now, but if you go into, uh, I was in Barnes and Noble that long ago, uh, not that long ago, and you go in and there's this entire section now when we go into a store like that of, of self-help. They actually have a self-help section. It's a lot of uh, kind of feel good, how to, how to be happy, how to be, all these different books and all these different things that you go to. Uh, it's, it's a huge business. When you go in and you see the size of that section and you start to look, and then you look at their bestseller list and how many of those books are on top of it uh, and, and what that looks like. And you start to see how often, uh, uh, how uh, big of an industry that is to, to be able to offer advice on people on how to be happy. Uh, how to find joy, how to find meaning, what that looks like. And so often those all get lumped under together under that, that title of, of self-help. And, and what you can see is you, you go in there and you look and you get all different ideas. You know, I was looking at some the other day and some of them actually sound pretty good when you start to look at the title of what they're saying and how that works. Some are really, really crazy and everything in between. And so what you get, though, is, is as you look at that, uh, sadly, I think a lot of times in the church, uh, people who claim to be Christians, people who are Christians will go and I need to check out the self-help section or they flip on the TV and they listen to what uh, Dr. Phil's saying or, or whoever it is that's, that's the big one on TV now. And, and you start to look at those things and we start to jump in and go, yeah, 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 maybe I should try that or maybe I should try that or maybe I should do that. And, and the, the concern I have is a lot of times, sometimes there's good advice mixed in there, but a lot of times uh, it's in direct contradiction to what God's word says. And a lot of times as, as believers, we'll try these things and we'll be quick to jump in and I'll try this and I'll do this. And yet we won't stop to look at what God's word says on the matter. And so this morning we're going to start uh, just for this month, the month of June, we're going to be in the Psalms. And so we're actually going to look at Psalm one through five for these five weeks. And so today we're going to be in Psalm uh, chapter one. And in that in that Psalm, as we'll look at in just a moment, it actually says at the beginning, blessed is the man who. And then it lays out some things that we shouldn't be doing and some things we should be doing. And when we start to think about this idea and what Scripture is telling us and when it says blessed is the man whom when we see this idea of blessed, blessedness in Scripture, I think the picture that is there is what a lot of people are looking for in self-help books. Right? The idea of being blessed in Scripture, what it's talking about here is this idea of wholeness, of wellness, of peace. Uh, of meaning, of all these things that we see, all these things that people are so often looking for in the self-help section uh, of the bookstore. But yet, I want you to see today what Scripture tells us on what that looks like. Uh, what God's Word tells us is the case when we look at that. And so, we're going to do that today as we start in this short series <clears throat> in Psalms. You may or may not be aware of this, maybe if you're visiting or you haven't been here for very long or, or whatever it may be. I have a, a rough kind of policy. It's not ironclad, but what we try to do is we try to spend time in the New Testament and then the Old Testament and then the New Testament and the Old Testament. We kind of go back and forth. So we just spent uh, five weeks in Titus or six weeks in Titus, New Testament letter Paul writes to young pastor Titus. And so today we're going to go back to the Old Testament and do that for the next five weeks. And the reason we do that is Scripture tells us that all of God's Word is profitable. 
And all of it is, is good for correcting and training in righteousness and pointing us more clearly to who God is. It's all God's word. And so that's why we want to strike a balance and be going back and forth and seeing both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so I'm going to read to us from Psalm 1 in just a second. Uh, maybe if you're visiting or maybe you've been here for a while, maybe you've heard this, maybe you've never understood. Sometimes when we finish reading, we'll say this is the word of the Lord. And some people will say thanks be to God. It's a uh, different uh, uh, different histories, where you grew up, what that looks like. Some people say that, but I want you to think about when we say that, because some people say that, and I want you to think about why we say that, that if this is God's word that God has given to us, uh, as, as Isaiah 40 verse eight says, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. If that is true, that this is God's eternal life giving word, it makes perfect sense when we read it to say, thanks be to God. Thank you, God, for revealing yourself to us in this way that we can know you. And so I want you just to think about that. As I read this, when I get done, I'm going to say this is the word of the Lord. And I invite you to say, thanks be to God. Thank you, God, that you've given us your word. Second thing, we do this every once in a while. And I realize it's been a long time because I can't remember the last time I do it. Oftentimes, or not oftentimes, sometimes I ask you to stand for the reading of the word. And I'm going to ask you to do that this morning as we read Psalms uh, chapter one. It's only six verses. And so you can stand for six verses if you would. Uh, if you think about what we're saying, that this is God's living, active word. It's the way he communicates to us. It makes sense that we would stand for the reading of his word. And so let's read Psalm chapter one, uh, verses one to six together. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in the season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's go to him in prayer before we look at this together, but let's pray first. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what it means, for what it teaches us, the way it points us to you. We pray this morning that we would just, uh, that that would be impressed upon our hearts that we're hearing from you today as we open your word and that you tell us what it means to be blessed, uh, blessedness and how that comes. And so I pray that we would take that seriously, that we would listen to your word today with great attentiveness and that we would see you more clearly and we'd leave here uh, praising your name for who you are and the way you've revealed yourself to us. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And so as we look at this big picture, it's a pretty straightforward psalm. When we look at this idea, it says, Blessed is the man who, and it starts with the things that we shouldn't be doing or don't really work to help to be in line with that. And so that's what we're going to start with. Uh, blessedness. Having these things that we're talking about is not doing this, and there's some consequences that come from that. And then secondly, we'll look at what he says positively we should be doing and the consequences, the, the benefits that come from that. And then lastly, we'll just end with there's a key that we always have to keep in mind whenever we read any of Scripture that opens this up to us. And we'll end with that to make sure that we're seeing it rightly. And so how we miss it and the consequences, how we get it and the blessings that come from that. And then lastly, the key that holds it all together. And so let's just start with how we miss it and what that looks like. And he starts right away in uh, chapter. Chapter 1, verse 1 there, blessed is the man who walks not 
in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, or nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And so you start to get this picture, if you think about that, if you think about what it's saying there for just a second, about walking in the council, standing in the way of sinners, or sitting in the seat of scoffers. And you get this picture of walking and then standing and then sitting. And I want you to think about that for a second when you just start to have that picture in your mind. Um, you go uh, maybe to the store and uh, uh, you're walking through the store and you hear somebody arguing. Right? You ever see that? And it's kind of really uncomfortable. You'll be walking by and uh, somebody's getting upset with each other. And you kind of walk by and you kind of slow down like you're, you're listening what's happening. Right? Or, or maybe you, you walk past them and then you go to like the next thing to pretend like you're getting something. And then you, you stop and then you start to listen. Or, or the picture of, of then you sit down. Really what this looks like when we look at this passage. Kind of the sitting down is now you're engaging in what's going on. And so what we see here is a downward spiral that says blessedness is not doing this. It's not that walking and then uh, standing and then now I'm going to sit down and join in. And that's the picture that's there. And what it says is that's not how you get this blessedness. That's not how what a blessed man looks like. And then you start to see what he's talking about, that walking, standing and sitting. He says walking in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And so it talks about three different things there, the wicked, the sinners, and the scoffers. And so you have to start to think about how those go together, that, that slowing down and that listening, that stopping, that entering in, and then you put it with those and what that means. And so when it says wicked, uh, maybe depending on what translation you're looking at, sometimes it says ungodly. But what that means is that uh, uh, it's talking about those that are guilty before God. And so, just so we're clear, uh, that's everyone apart from Jesus, right? We are guilty before God because we have ignored God and his world. And so the picture there of wicked is all of us apart from Christ, that we are held uh, uh, culpable for the times that we've ignored God and his world, that he has created, and that's all people. So it's, it's a base level sinfulness. We are born into sin, each and every one of us. Our hearts bent is to be all about us instead of about God, to ignore him in his world. And so that's what it means, kind of base level. And then it talks about sinners, nor stand in the way of sinners. Sinners simply, simply means, in the context here, uh, ignoring God uh, either out of ignorance or willfully, but continuing to ignore him. An ongoing thing of ignoring him. And so uh, we would all say we are all sinners uh, but as you become a Christian, as God moves into your life, he begins to regenerate and remake you. It doesn't mean you will be perfect. You will still have times when you're battling your flesh. There'll still be times when you have step backs and faults. But the picture here starts to take on more of just a continual sinning as opposed to intermittent. You have a struggle here or there. But then the last part it talks about is scoffers. And scoffers is not only uh, being culpable before God, it's not only ignoring him, but it's now taking on a, a way of, of completely against the things of God. So much so that a scoffer is someone that makes fun of the things of God, that, that persecutes the righteous that are trying to follow what God has set forth. And so it may be something like, uh, yeah, the Bible says love your neighbor as yourself. That won't work. Right? There's no way you're going to get ahead in business if you love your neighbor as yourself. That's crazy. Right? That's, that's, that's the way a scoffer would talk. That makes no sense to me because I want to get ahead and that won't work. And so that would be the picture of a scoffer. And so you put those two together and what you see is that walk, stands, and sits really correlates with that. 
And when you take the whole picture that's there, what you start to get when it says, blessed is the man who doesn't do this, the picture that emerges when we talk about sinners and we talk about uh, scoffers and we talk about the, the wicked, what we're saying is, is we're listening to man rather than God. We're allowing man to, to guide and lead us rather than what God says. We've exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship the creation rather than the creator. That's what Romans 1 says, the way Paul lays it out. And that's the picture that you start to see here. When we begin to let what man thinks, when we let our culture stand over us, when we let our world dictate the way we walk and what it looks like, this is what happens. And he says, blessed is not the one that does this, that values the opinion of man over the opinion of God. And so we have a choice in everyday life that that's the case. We can either go with the winds of the culture and what that looks like, or we can choose to uh, follow God and what he says. And so you see that picture when we talk about how do we miss it, that's what it looks like. Uh, I couldn't help but think as I read this, an interview that I had just seen last week. I just watched an interview uh, by a pastor, uh, I'm going to miss his name, Andrew Wilson is his name, and he's in, he's in England, and he was on a radio show. He and uh, Rob Bell, who was a pastor in Michigan, and they were debating some different things about the culture and what's going on. Rob Bell's kind of made a splash or a name for himself. He's written two books recently. Uh, he's kind of taken this, this aim of, of one, he wrote a book saying that hell may or may not exist. And so uh, basically he's a heretic. He's decided to go against what Scripture says clearly, and he's made a, tried to make a case for that. And so he kind of caused a stir for that. But then the reason I was watching this interview is recently he decided and he came out and said that as the church that we should, we should embrace uh, homosexual unions because that's where culture has gone. And that was his reason. And that's what he said in this interview. What he said was the reason that we should embrace this is that culture has now shifted and if we want to get people in the church, we're going to have to get with the times and move on. And that's the way he explained it. And this guy, Andrew Wilson, really kind of went very lovingly. It was a very kind discussion. I was impressed watching both men as they were engaging. But he kept asking them. He said, so what is your re-? You're saying it's because of culture. And essentially he said, yes. Yes, this is where culture has gone. And so we want to embrace that and jump in. And so he kept taking him back to Scripture. And it was kind of like, well, this is my experience and this is what I think. And so this is where I'm going with it. And so what kept coming to mind as I, as I heard Rob Bell articulate his position was Psalm 1.1. Right? That he's decided to kind of walk along with this and then he stopped and now he sat down and now he's fully in and this is where I'm going. And I'm going to ignore what God has clearly said and I'm going to go with what I think culture says now. And so the picture there is, is not a pretty picture. When we begin to do that, when we begin to move in those ways and we let what man says and what our culture says stand over and above God. Look at what he says. He tells you what it looks like in verse 4. Now verse 2 and verse 3 kind of switch gears to the righteous man, what that looks like the blessed man is doing. And he gives this analogy of a tree planted by the water that's grounded and rooted. We'll come back to that in just a second. But then he makes a, a comparison to that in verse 4. He says, the wicked are not so. He says they're not rooted and grounded. He says they are like chaff that the wind drives away. And the picture that emerges there is that when we listen to men, we listen to our culture, we listen to the winds of change that are blowing, you will become like chaff. If you know what that is, that's the outside part of, of like grain. Uh, you, you can rub it off with your hands and it blows away and then you're left with the seed. And so it's kind of the, the housing of it and it's light. And when you, when you do this, it, just, it blows away. 
And it's a really good picture of when we decide to follow man and what man says over what God and what God says. And the reason I would say that is because man, the scriptures tell us, we are sinful and our heart is deceitful above all things, it says in Jeremiah. We are quickly changed by our feelings and our emotions and what's going on around us. And if we begin to engage in that, and we say we're going to let God's word be over here and we're going to let man stand over it. That's what it looks like. It looks like chaff. We're going to be blown from here to here to there all over. There's no rootedness. There's no groundedness. And that's the picture that it looks like. And then look at what he says, the ends there in verses five and six. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And so the picture that emerges is this. When we decide to go the way of letting man's thoughts, our culture, those things stand over God, we are going to stand before God at some point. And the picture that Scripture says is that man doesn't decide, God does. And so when it says in verse 5, therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment. If your argument before God in judgment is, well, my culture said this, so I went with that. Right? God's going to say the culture doesn't decide, I do. This is my world, and I created it, and I know how it holds together because I am the maker, and I am the one, and I am the ultimate reality. And he says that won't stand when you stand before God. You will not be dismissed on, well, everybody else was doing it. Right? That's what it says. It says it won't work that way because God is the ultimate decider. He is the ultimate reality. And so when we get our authority from our culture or our feelings or what man says, the ends of that, it says, you, the wicked will perish. It will not stand. God doesn't let that go because he is the ultimate reality. And so that is the way we miss it. That's the way we miss what God calls us to when we begin to go down that road. But then look at what he says on how do we get it. Because he says, blessed is the man who doesn't do this. But then in verse 2, he gives us a very different picture of what that looks like. And I think there's two levels here of what he says, and we'll look at both on the way he says it. But look at what he says in verse 2. Blessed is the man, and then it says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And so kind of the opposite of what it says in verse 1. When we begin to, to listen to what our culture and what man says, and he says, no, the blessed man is the one that holds fast to what God says, that delights in the law of the Lord. When you read through Scripture and we talk about the law, we can mean a few different things. It's kind of dependent on the context. Sometimes we mean the law being uh, the first five books of the Bible. Sometimes specifically we mean the law being the Ten Commandments or the commands God gave within the first five books. Or there's times in Scripture where the law means all of Scripture. And I think that's the case here. I think that's what it's talking about. Uh, Jesus talks about the law of the Lord in Matthew uh, chapter 12, and then he quotes from Hosea, which is one of the minor prophets. And so you see him referring to the law of the Lord being all of God's word. And I think that's the case here. And so when we start to ask, what does it look like, the blessed man? What does that look like when we're, we're seeking to know how does that work and what does that look like? Is that we hold fast to God's word. And not only do we hold fast to God's word, but we hold fast to all of it. Not just parts of it. Sometimes we say, well, yeah, the Bible, and I like that, and I like Jesus, and I like this part over here, but, man, I'm not sure about some of that other stuff. Right? 
Uh, I, I met a, a friend uh, said that to me once. He said, yeah, I like this and I like this, but some of this stuff Paul says, can't we just throw that out? Right? And, uh, and so we can, we can fall into that, or we can even say, I agree with all of it. And yes, I think it's all God's word, but then we really emphasize this part over here. And we kind of we downplay that part over there. And so we, we have to be careful when we read what this says, delighting in the law of the Lord is that we're holding fast to all of it, not just the parts we like or this part over here or that part over here. Because if we do, if we begin to do that, we really slip back into verse 1. We become verse 1 because what happens is if I decide, well, I don't like this part and so I'm going to leave this part. And I don't like that part, so I'm going to downplay that part. And I'm just going to hold to this. Ultimately, what I'm doing is the decision rests with me. Right? Suddenly, God starts to look an awful lot like me. Right? Because I go, oh, I'm not sure about that part. Right? And what happens is, functionally, my God becomes me and what I decide and what I like and what I don't. And my will can never be crossed because I just go, oh, I'm not sure about that. And so then I've slipped back into the first one. I've started to take on what I think and let that stand over God's word. The truth is, if you read through all of Scripture and you hold fast and you delight in the law of the Lord, you're going to get cut. Right? There's going to be times where your will is going to get crossed and you're going to go, oh. Right? But if you don't do that, it's not really a relationship. It's just you. It's you going, oh, I don't like that, so I'm not going to do that. And so it looks just like you. So it's important that we say, when we say delighting in the law of the Lord, that it's that we take all of it, that we believe what it says. And so that's the first part. But then there's another part, the second part of the verse. He delights in the law of the Lord and on his law, he meditates day and night. And I want you to think about that. I think the very truth is a lot of times within the church, we will say, yes, I delight in the law of the Lord. I believe that the Bible's God's word. We say that here. We say we believe it's the inerrant word of God, that God has inspired it, that it's all his word and that we should hold to it. People become a member here, say, yes, we're agreeing with that. Yes, we we want to hold to God's word together. We're affirming that. But I think a lot of times we live in between the beginning of verse 2 and the second part of verse 2. We're okay with delighting in the law of the Lord. We're okay even with taking up, I should read through the Bible in a year, and so I'll read this chapter or two every day, or we'll read our daily bread or whatever it is. And none of those are bad things, by the way. I don't say that negatively. Those are all good things if you're taking up those practices. That's fine. But I think a lot of times we stop short of meditating on his law day and night. And so when we talk about what does it mean to be blessed, what does blessedness look like, we'll go, man, I'm not sure. I'm I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with that. But we're not doing what God tells us. Instead, we're going to the bookstore to look for books that talk about uh, what does it mean to be happy and what does it mean to be joyful, and yet we're not meditating on the law of the Lord. We haven't done what God's told us, and then we've just skipped on the wall and go find something else that maybe will, will bring me that peace. And so it tells us to meditate on the law of the Lord. I want you to think about what that means. You know, to really move beyond just studying your Bible, although you should study your Bible. We, we know from our mind, God renews us through our mind, and it's important to understand what it means and to think about it. But it's more than just that. When we start to really think about it, it's, it's letting God's truth wash over you, beginning to apply it to your heart. You know, seeing clearly this is what it says, and this is what it means, and what does that mean for me if I actually believe this? And you start to meditate on those truths and what that looks like. 
Uh, I heard it said recently, uh, the, there's a difference between calling and answering prayer. If you've ever heard those terms before, calling and answering prayer. And what that means is oftentimes we do calling prayer. We, we call out to God, God, uh, so-and-so is sick and please heal them. We're supposed to do that and that's a good thing. Again, I'm not making light of that. We're, we're to bring things before the Lord. Bring needs. He wants to know. He wants to hear them. If you're not doing that, do that. That is a good thing. But oftentimes we can fall into everything is calling prayer. The only time I pray is things are going bad. God, fix this. I need this. I need this. I need it. And it's always me going to God and starting that conversation. The idea of answering prayer is beginning with God's word and reading and seeing what he says and what he tells you and then responding to what God's telling you. Letting the conversation begin with God instead of with you. It's the difference of what that looks like when we begin to do that. Uh, instead of just, just constantly just throwing up different things, you stop and be still before the Lord. And what do you want to show me in this God? And then you open his word and you begin to seek him in his word. Help me greatly. I read this years ago and I don't remember. I wish I knew where it came from. But uh, I, I want to say it goes back to maybe Martin Luther, but don't quote me on that because I'm not positive. But there's, there's these, these questions that I used to have written on my, my computer. It was a little sticker I'd put on there, and I'd wrote these, written these questions on there. And, and it was just, as you read your Bible, questions to ask. And I'd sit there and I'd read a passage, and then I would ask, God, what do I need to praise you for as I read this? Right? And so I'm looking at what it tells me about who God is, and then I'm praising Him for what it says. Or then I would ask the question, uh, what do I need to confess as I read this? Where am I failing? Where am I not doing this? Where am I not believing this? And you're trying to apply this to your heart and you're asking those questions. Or then you would end with, uh, what do I need to ask you for, God? In light of what I'm reading and what you're telling me, what do I need to ask you? And so what happens is the conversation is beginning with God and his word instead of just me and my feelings and where I am. Now, it's supposed to be both. You're supposed to tell them those things, but we also need to be starting that conversation at times with God speaking to us through his word and thinking on those things and meditating on those things. You know, I, I'm overwhelmed by the graciousness of God when I think about it. The last couple of weeks, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, we were in Titus chapter three, one of my favorite passages. You get to the end of Titus three that he saved us not by uh, works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of his regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. And uh, as I was going to preach on that really for two weeks, we, we hit part of those verses. I, I had a card in my pocket with that written on it. And I had all these notes and I just walked around with it all the time. Just think I'd wake up. I mentioned this a few weeks ago. I'd wake up in the middle of the night with he saved you by works not done by you in righteousness. What do I need to praise God for? That he saved me, not by works done by me in righteousness, because I would be lost. And so I'd wake up and I'd say, thank you, God, that you saved me by what you do and not what I do. Right? And I would respond back to the truth of his word in my heart that he's telling you, this is what I've done for you. I've saved you not by what you did, but what I did. And I'd go, thank you, God. Right? And then it would say, uh, then you'd think about, uh, and he's, he's washing us, uh, the washing of regeneration and renewal through his spirit. Right? And confess, God, I so put you in a box and what you can do in your spirit. Right? I need to confess that I'm making you much smaller than you are. 
What do I need to ask God for? God, give me a clear picture of the ways that you love me. And it's all dependent on your mercy. I need to see that more clearly every day. And so it's response to what he's telling me instead of just starting with me. And so you start to see more clearly. And so I was doing that and I go through cycles where I do that better than others. Some weeks it's really good and some weeks it's, it's not so good. Some weeks a lot of the prayers are, God, forgive me and help me. I need to do this better. But the last couple of weeks, I've been, and then I open up Psalms 1 this week and start reading that. And it says, right, that blessed is the man who meditates on the, on the law of the Lord, who meditates on it day and night. And, and what it says here in verse 3, I could see so clearly spending time doing that. Right. Because in verse three, it says uh, he when you do this, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaves do not its leaf does not wither and all that he does. He prospers and you start to get this picture of when you begin to let God's word stand over what man says and you begin to meditate on that and apply that to your heart. It's it's not like. The chaff that's blown by the winds. He said, you're like a tree who's planted by the streams. Now, what do you think about that picture? Right? This, this psalm is great in terms of, of word pictures that are there. A tree planted by a stream is what? doesn't matter if there's a season where it doesn't rain because it's planted right next to the tree and it's being continually fed. And it's growing and it's growing deeper roots. And it's becoming more and more grounded because it's continually fed because it's right there by the stream. And so the picture, he says, is as you begin to do that, you become more and more rooted and grounded. And then he gets this and he says, in all that he does, he prospers. And you can say, well, wait a second. Does that mean that if we meditate on God's word a certain amount of time every day, everything will go great? Right? It'll make everything perfect if you do that. No, that's not what it means. And I'd say we're not reading closely enough if we begin to say that, because look at what he says. He says it's like a, a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. Right? It says he yields fruit within a season. It doesn't mean that there's not seasons where there's not fruit. It doesn't mean that there's not seasons of winter. Right? It doesn't mean that there's not difficult times. What it means is that you will be rooted and grounded even in the difficult times. That you can prosper even when it's a season of drought. Because you are rooted and grounded and being fed through God's infinite word. What a beautiful picture that that looks like when you start to see that. That we begin to, the, the contrast that's there. When we listen to men and we listen to our feelings, we're blown all over the place. But when we listen to God, we become rooted and grounded. And it changes. And we're stuck in that even when things around us aren't going so great. And so it's a beautiful picture of what it looks like to delight in the law of the Lord and to meditate on it day and night. Which, by the way, oftentimes when we talk about meditating on God's word, a lot of that is going to be you thinking, you personally doing that. That's absolutely true. But I'd say part of this is a community project as well. Right? I mean, think about it when we get together and four or five people or two people or three people and you've been meditating on the same passage together and you go, let me share with you what God's showing me. That's awesome. Because right? it's always somebody says something that you go, oh yeah, I didn't think about that. I didn't see that completely. That is awesome. And so it's not just you and God, although that's going to happen. 
And that's definitely part of it. It's got to be community as well. And so that's, that's the, how the blessedness looks. But then there's last part here that I want to hit on and then we'll end with this. There is a key that makes sure we get all this, especially when we go in the Old Testament and we start to read these. We can read this passage very easily and we can read verse 1 and say, blessed is the man who doesn't do these things. And then we can read uh, uh, verse 2 and say, blessed is the man who does do these things. And then we can read on down and say, the, per- uh, the wicked will perish and the righteous will not. And that'll be good. And you can easily read that because our heart is deceitful above all things. Is if I do these things, everything will be good. And if I don't do these things, then I'll be in trouble. And we'll make it all about you and what you do and what you don't do. It'll be all about your personal uh, performance. And we can easily slip into that idea. That's where our hearts want to go. Our hearts want to make it all about us and what we do. And so what is the key that saves us from that? Right? And the key is simply this. When you meditate on the word day and night and you begin to seek it and see it, the key is what Jesus says in Luke chapter 24. In Luke chapter 24, the resurrection has just happened. Jesus shows up. He's there with the disciples and he gathers them around. And he says, now I'm going to open the scriptures and I'm going to show you how it all points to me. <laughs> That's what he says. I still say, greatest Bible study in the history of the world. It was right there when Jesus said, okay, now I'm going to show you how all of scripture points to me. And it says he took them through and he showed them all of it. And he gets to the end and he says, I'm showing you that thus it has been written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and the repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. And so that's what he says in Luke 24. This is what it looks like. And so when we consider any of this, whether it's the Psalms or Proverbs or Genesis or Numbers or whatever it is, the key to all of it is to see Jesus. How does this point us to Jesus and what does this look like? Blessed is the man who meditates on the word of God day and night because the Holy Spirit bears witness and it starts to show us and teach us and it starts to point us to what that looks like. As overwhelmed thinking about what that looks like when you really start to meditate on the word of the Lord. I just started thinking about verses that I've meditated on that God put in what came to my mind and what God's showing us is for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, yet while you were a sinner, Christ died for you, so therefore is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You have been justified by grace as a gift. It's not your works done by you in righteousness. For freedom Christ has set you free, and if the Son has set you free, then you are free indeed. And all sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to what is to come. And I have God's Word dwelling in me, and I know that. I'm like a tree by a stream. I'm blessed that I have a God that knows me. He knows every bit of me and all my sinfulness and all my wickedness, and yet He came anyway, and He laid His life down, and He gives me the gift of knowing Him. And it's all dependent on Him, and all that will come in this life will be used for my good, for His glory. Right? Seasons of winter that come, I'm good. That'd mean it won't be hard, but I am rooted and grounded in the stream of God's Word because I see Him in that. And so I can be uh, grounded in that because of who He is. And so when it starts to dwell in you and your thoughts start to tell you, oh, this is going bad, nothing good can come from this. 
Right? That's what, that's what we often want to say. Oh, no good could possibly come from this situation. And then in my, my thoughts and my minds are all the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed. Right? Because it's meditating on the law of the Lord. And I go, yes, that's right. Instead of giving in to my sinful heart and thoughts, I have God's word standing over and above that. And I'm blessed because of that. And so... As we end today, I just say this. It's not to be a heavy-handed, oh, if you're not blessed, you need it. But I want you just to think about this picture. That God tells us in His infinite life-giving Word that is eternal, meditate on my Word day and night and you will be blessed. Are you doing that? Are you spending time seeking what God has told you, applying it to your heart Walking around, running it through in your mind what he's told you and what he said and what he wants to do for you. Believing that. That doesn't mean your life will suddenly be perfect. But I will tell you, there is a groundedness and a rootedness that comes from taking him at his word. Seeking him in that. Letting that dwell richly in you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for Psalm chapter 1. What a beautiful, beautiful picture it is. The way that it just shows us, points us to how your wisdom, that your, your ways are far beyond our ways. I pray that you would just give us a heart that seeks you above all else and all things, that we would seek to be rooted and grounded in your word, that we would seek to meditate on it day and night, that we would trust you, that uh, through your spirit that you would just continue to uh, work it deep down into our heart, applying it to us, showing us how much you do truly love us and care for us. We thank you, thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Come to the time of worship through our giving.